Today on Spectre Cinema Club, we're reviewing 1954's Creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, and Shane McAvoy from Letterboxd said, I love this wet guy, and we do too. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Spectre Cinema Club, a podcast obsessed with horror movies and all the subgenres within. I'm one of your hosts, Devon Taylor. Joined with me as always, I got Garrett McDowell. Yeah, Devon, a few weeks ago, you had tweeted out a photo of your uh, moving podcast setup because things were in disarray. So to paint a, an, an image for our listeners, I'm sitting on my bed. I can go crisscross applesauce, <laughs> uh, surrounded by moving boxes with uh, a very, very long uh, microphone stand ready to talk about this movie. <laughs> hey, if, if we we are dedicated, if nothing else, to making sure we don't miss any episodes and uh, we still have not done it, uh, now going through a second move. Uh, amongst Ooh. the pod so uh, we're still going strong we're swimming along we're floating as we continue doing our aquatic horror month uh, title terror if you will and uh, very excited to continue on uh, we got a classic we got black to uh, back to back black and white films as well as we did uh, the lighthouse last week and creature from the black lagoon this week and joining us uh, to discuss this classic is a returning guest. Uh, she is a writer for many places, including Survive Forgotten, ran by friends of the show, Matt and Matt. Welcome back to the show, Molly Henry. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm excited to talk about one of my favorite movies. <laughs> yes, uh, this was one of the ones I recruited you um, for this one because, you know, we're doing a quad horror and I was like, I was like, we need to kind of do uh, one of these earlier ones. I felt like, uh, you know, getting uh, the Gill Man in here was necessary for the month. So I was like, who who really loves this film? Uh, so I was uh, happy to see you uh, with a nice five stars for this one. Um, but, um, you know, we uh, discuss subgenres here on the pod and you are one of the uh, guests to have uh, one of the uh, rare distinctions that you've been you've been name checked on here on the podcast as you've kind of uh, carved out a corner of your own subgenre that you like to write about over on Certified and Forgotten the uterus horror uh, column that you do. Uh, explain a little bit of that and how it kind of ties into some of your favorite subgenres. Yeah, so I, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to take the credit for this subgenre as a whole, because uh, obviously, it's thanks to the amazing filmmakers and writers who have created these films. But um, through kind of realizing what some of my favorite horror films were, I realized that there was this common thread of these films that are young women who are kind of discovering their sexuality, they are discovering who they are as a person, going through those big life changes um, leading up to adulthood, like Terry, Jennifer's Body, Ginger Snaps. And uh, I kind of realized that that was really the type of film that I was drawn to. And that was what eventually led me to writing my uterus horror column where I define the genre and then each month I cover a different film that fits into that subgenre over at Certified Forgotten. 
Yeah, I really love that it's, you know, it's kind of a, it's a blending of many subgenres within itself. And, and like you said, you didn't, you know, I- invent it, but um, I, you know, appreciate you being able to put a name to it and also being able to, uh, you know, consistently explore it in uh, interesting ways. Uh, I know two movies that we covered here on the pod uh, back in season one would fit in uh, for your column and this month. Uh, the Lure and uh, Blew My Mind are uh, two kind of very specific coming-of-age movies uh, for women through the lens of being a fish person. Uh, so so I uh, love that uh, you've gotten to kind of uh, get into a little bit more of that. Uh, besides um, aquatic horror and uterus horror, uh, what are one of your uh, favorite subgenres? This is another sub- subgenre that I don't know if there's an actual name for it. It's not something that's easily named like found footage or anything like that. But the only way I can think to to describe it is movies where humans are the monsters. Um, Kind of like in this, this film counts towards that as well, but Mm -hmm. it can be anything like I've seen it in zombie films where even though there are zombie films, the humans are the ones that you really should be the most scared of. Um, A lot of Guillermo del Toro's work is kind of like showing love to the monsters and showing that human beings are the real monsters. Um, And even going back as far back as, like Fern Gully. I've been very drawn to that kind of story. Uh, so, I, and that's another one that I like that it can kind of encompass a lot of different other subgenres like creature features or supernatural zombie and stuff. So, that's definitely one that I find myself very drawn to. And I, I think that's a theme that we've seen a few times this month, especially in regards to like a sci fi perspective of humans exploring either for you know exploration or for money and resources and things like that so i i feel like that certainly applies um to this movie as well as another film you'd already mentioned guillermo del toro but the shape of water which was obviously very clearly and openly inspired by that movie but not just visually and it's about a fish person but also carrying that idea forward of of humans being the real monsters so to speak yeah, yeah, I would totally agree that the the human monster angle has come up in uh in quite frequently in some of our more sci-fi uh angled uh discussions uh, as well as uh, our cannibal discussions as well. I feel like uh, also fits into uh human monsters in a kind of different degree uh, more than the metaphorical uh angle that we'll kind of talk about a little bit later. Um but also in the in the uh literal one. So yeah, I love uh human monsters is a uh, is a great one to shout out. Um but uh you already mentioned that uh, we're going to be getting into that for the movie today. So let's go ahead and dive on in. Creature from the Black Lagoon, released March 5th, 1954. This was directed by Jack Arnold, who is also known for The Incredible Shrinking Man, as well as a few other uh, universal uh, horror films as well. This was written by Harry Essex and Arthur Ross, with a story done by Maurice Zim. Uh, The cinematography was done by William E. Snyder, uh, notable to shout out that this was originally shot in 3D. And uh, they used uh, the polarizing light method, which is actually more popular today with like, you know, the gray glasses. Um, They didn't do the red and blue anaglyph uh, method until uh, they did like a re-release like decades later and then for uh, the VHS copy as well. Uh, So did not watch this in 3D today because I don't really like watching movies in 3D if I'm going to be honest with you. (laughs) Um, But but it that is the way that it was originally shot. 
uh, score done by uh, the prolific Henry Mancini. Uh, has done uh, many, many, many scores. Like his discography is incredibly long, but uh, did a lot of uh, films such as Wait Until Dark, Life Force, and uh, and a bunch of the Pink Panther movies. Um, but uh, there was also Hans J. Salter and Herman Stein on the score as well. And this was edited by Ted J. Kent. Uh, box office uh, did a, uh, you know, reasonable 1.3 million back in 54. Uh, I'm not sure what that would be adjusted to inflation, but, you know, not too shabby. Uh, Molly, what do you think uh, this is sitting at on Rotten Tomatoes? It has 44 re- uh, reviews. It's always so tough with the older films, mm-hmm. too, because you never know if it's purely older ones or if it's people who are watching it now and comparing it to recent films. But I still feel like this is such a classic universal monster movie. I'm going to guess it's somewhere around maybe 75%. Pretty close, 80%. Uh, Yeah, like you said, uh, with with the older ones, it is always uh, a little bit tough on uh, on, uh, where it's going to kind of land at. Uh, Garrett, what do you think uh, the letterbox average rating is right now? See, I think the letterbox is going to consist of people who are like big horror nerds going back to see this movie who either really really enjoy it or think it's boring as snot so i think it's going to meet somewhere in the middle and be a 3.6 out of 5 as always garrett you're always only 0.1 off uh, we, we had a we had a 3.5 out of 5 on this one like you are always right there yeah, son of a gun um, uh, but but you know garrett garrett's tapped into the voice of the people he knows what's going on <laughs> Um, but yes, uh, this is uh, one of the films that uh, came out uh, a little bit later than some of the other Universal monster movies. Uh, I kind of put this in like uh, in tier two, uh, obviously, like, you know, I think Dracula, Frankenstein's monster and Wolfman were kind of there. They're uh, big bucks monsters. And then underneath that, you kind of had uh, the creature movies, uh, the Invisible Man movies, um, uh, the mummy movies as well say that's like uh, the, the next tier underneath as far as uh, some of these universal monster movies go uh but molly you mentioned this is uh, one of your favorite films ever so uh what made you want to talk about today well yeah it's definitely it's one of my favorite horror films it's one that i grew up watching um and it's also of the universal universal monster movies it is my favorite universal monster um Partly because it does kind of go into that humans are the monsters kind of thing, even though he's still very deadly in this and and aggressive. uh, I always felt kind of bad because people are just invading his space and it's not his fault that (laughs) they're coming into his territory. Um, But I also just like, I think the creature design is something that has withstood the test of time. It looks just as amazing today as it did back then. Um, I like the the dedication to creating that creature, um, where they created like a, a suit for on land and then one for underwater and actually had a diver do the underwater stuff so they didn't have to use like a, a tank or anything that would create any, like there was, there's clearly a lot of dedication that went into creating this monster and I think that it pays off. Um, and I also like that it has um, a woman on the expedition who is not just there because she's pretty, she's there because she is an amazing scientist as well. Which back then, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of. 
Oh yeah, uh, she's uh, the the uh, the soul lady on this boat full of lots of testosterone. Uh, you know, which we'll which we'll get into here in a moment. Uh, Garrett, I know you are a big Universal Monsters person, but I know this is not as high on your Universal Monsters list. So, uh, did were you illuminated on this rewatch at all? You know, it it wasn't as high, but that's not for that's not necessarily reflective of my dislike or love of this movie. It's rather that I really, really love a lot of the universal movies. Uh, Frankenstein is an all time favorite of mine. Uh, it's something I, I rewatch yearly and a lot of the films invisible man, uh, you know, bride of Frankenstein as well uh, are all like spectacular in my opinion, like hall of fame horror movies. And so for this, it doesn't quite reach those heights for me, but I still really enjoy it, especially more on this rewatch. I think the first time I was watching it, um, I was I was quite young in my classic movie. It was like a time in like high school where I was like watching a lot of like older films and this just didn't stand out as much to me. But now understanding where, where this film kind of lies in Universal's um, film catalog, where this uh, lies in the the history of sci-fi and horror and how those overlapped during this time, um, I think that that combined with what is there with this movie which is as you had already mentioned the excellent creature design prosthetics all of that the the underwater sequences and the way that those are filmed and the care given uh in the attention to detail to like you know building this giant pool that they can film in all of that stuff i think uh made this movie sing a lot more for me on a rewatch uh it's still probably not in my top five uh, universal monster movies, but that's not a condemnation of the quality of the film. It's more just a, a praising of, you know, its peers. Oh yeah. And, and I kind of agree in that way as well. Um, this was actually my first time watching. Um, I'm a bit of a poser. Cause I'm actually wearing a like swamp creature shirt that I like wore to uh, the, the horror picket this morning. Uh, <laughs> not I did that not even on purpose, but um, but yeah, because I've always been enamored by uh, the, the creature design of the Gilman. And I feel like this is a combination of one, like you said, all the, the Universal Monster movies are just really good. Like a lot of them are like really fantastic. And um, so it's like kind of uh, maybe the film doesn't measure up in that way just because it, as far as if you're doing the direct comparison. Um, but then also, you know, like you said, like it's the, also the legacy of this character has almost uh, outshined the films themselves as well. Because, I mean, I know this got, you know, two sequels and stuff, but I really only see people ever talk about the first one. Um, and and again, like, you know, and for me, I didn't like love this film. Um, I just didn't kind of get uh the 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 layered uh feelings that i get with uh some of the other ones it doesn't kind of have the evocativeness of dracula or it doesn't kind of have the the same type of tragedy as frankenstein um but but again uh you know the gilman kind of being maybe uh one of the more realistic uh you know creatures uh in the universal canon you know aside from the invisible man but like you know this is not outside the realms of reality to like you know find uh, a fish man in the ocean because as we've been uh talking about all month you we have no idea we have not explored half these things you know and uh mm -hmm. uh you know and i don't get that fear as much in this one since it is river and lake uh, or a river instead of an ocean but even still in that way, it kind of still makes the Gilman uh, uh, seem a little bit more uh, tangible in reality uh, than some of the other monsters do. So in that angle, I do definitely connect 
uh, to the the concept of the Gill Man. Like that that is kind of more what I'm intrigued by than kind of what the the film decides to go into. But like you said, like aside from uh, appreciating the the amazing creature design, like honestly, I think is uh, one of just the best designs in all of horror. Um, it, you know, it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, shout out to um, shout out to Millicent Patrick who. Uh, is credited with the original design, though she was kind of denied this credit for uh, a good chunk of her career. Uh, Bud Westmore uh, kind of downplayed her contributions, um, but uh, it was Milson Patrick uh, because, you know, again, fuck men as usual and kind of goes in line with uh, the, some of the things in this film. And, uh, and yeah, and the technical prowess of the film definitely uh, elevates it quite high. Uh, whenever Universal at this point was kind of just pumping out a lot of stuff and seeing what was going to stick. You know, this one, uh, like Garrett said, you can definitely see the care and attention to detail in this one compared to uh, some of the other ones that were coming out in the 50s by this point. Um, But yeah, so I'm excited to get into it more. Molly, are you ready for a 60-second synopsis? Yes, I am. All righty. I got you here on the clock in three two, one, go. After discovering the fossil of an unknown prehistoric amphibian creature, an expedition of scientists, including paleontologists and ichthyologists, travel by boat to a remote part of the Amazon River. They arrive to the original dig site to find two workers horribly mauled to death. Instead of turning back, the team searches for more prehistoric remains and eventually moves to an area called the Black Lagoon. There they discover a living gill man, Seemingly the last of his kind, the Gilman has set his sights on the lone woman of the expedition, Kay. Trapped in the lagoon and woefully unprepared, more members of the team are killed and injured as the Gilman relentlessly pursues Kay. The scientists and boat crew must try to capture or kill the creature before they meet a watery grave. Bada bing, nice and succinct with plenty <laughs> of time extra left over. Uh, very, uh, love that one. This is, uh, you know, as most universal movies are, is a bit on the shorter side, uh, comes in, uh, right under 80 minutes. So, uh, this is actually one of the, the shorter ones we've covered here on the pod. Um, but, uh, as far as getting into some of the subgenres here, which we kind of, uh, you know, shouted out a few of them, uh, in the opening, you know, as far as, uh, this being a creature feature and, um, also, uh, some eco horror going on, uh, but uh, we'll start with uh, Garrett. What uh, do you got for uh, subgenres going on here that you really enjoyed? Um, I think that this also is in a similar vein of something like the African Queen, where it's like this exploration, like adventure horror. Like I, I think the most obvious example would be like something like Jaws, um, that has a lot of those adventure themes. But you're hunting the adventure that you're going on is you're hunting this horrible, terrifying monster that's trying to kill you. And I think a part of that is uh, uh, definitely in this movie as well. This man versus nature and this this exploration that they're going on I, I i feel like the monster to me really embodied that idea of ex- exploring the unknown and trying to seek knowledge but the like uncovering you know what what, what you uncover can be terrifying as 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 well as illuminating and i think that that uh this film covers that in a really interesting way Oh yeah, I I totally agree there, and and I would loop that into uh, I said eco horror. I actually kind of more mean bio horror uh, in uh, in because there's not as much of a uh, like a environmental message in this film, rather than um, you know taking a look at nature and uh, you know 
you know, being curious about it, being curious about life. And there's a kind of like a, some evolution theories that go on into the, that go into the film as well. Um, and so, so I would kind of loop that in as well. Um, and you know, the, the sci-fi angle also kind of, uh, is tied to the, uh, the hyper masculine hubris of it all. Uh, as well because you know you have these you know all these different scientists and they all kind of want to go after the gill man for different reasons but none of them are good reasons like they're all like you guys are all wrong still like it doesn't really matter uh what any of their reasons are Mm -hmm. and i feel like that is like kind of more what ties into um you know with k being there because um you know, not seeing this, but then knowing other stuff, I always kind of assumed there was like a horror romance angle, and there really isn't. Um, I I feel like you know, uh, Gilman is just you know more uh, gravitates towards Kay because not because you know one she is the sole female, but she's also the only one like not antagonizing him and like not uh you know like you know doing all these things. So he's like you know feels like kind of a more safe in that angle, and and that can still be partly because she's a woman compared to these men. She's a little bit softer, but but at the same time, I feel like it's not like in a like not in the like you know creepy uh kind of psychosexual way uh, at least for me uh with some of this stuff but uh what were uh, some of the other subgenres that were working for you molly yeah i mean there, obviously there's creature feature and aquatic horror in this um but definitely i we kind of talked about this earlier i think it definitely falls into the humans or the monsters even though i don't think that's what the filmmakers intended when they made this movie yeah. i think that's something that is more of a modern audience perspective, especially with uh, the rise of people who call themselves monster fuckers. (laughs) Um, I think that this is definitely something that appeals more to them. Uh, And because like it is, there's so much like male bravado going on and and whether they're trying to capture or kill it, um, this thing clearly seems to be the only living being of this prehistoric creature. So the fact that they want to capture or kill it is there, it seems like they're doing it more for their own um, ego more so than for science, Uh, which I do think, I think that probably, like you said, that probably is partly why he's the creature is drawn to Kay. Although I will say, I think because he's the last one, I think he was also trying to find a mate. Like that is oh, that is very yeah, much that the vibe that I got. That actually would make sense. No one else to mate with, and that's <laughs> the probably the first human woman he's ever seen, presumably. So, yeah, I, I think that's definitely one of the reasons why he, even though he was shot with a harpoon and 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 shot with bullets and stuff, he kept going back for her. <laughs> <laughs> he's determined, you know. He's yes. he's like he's like me at a bar, trying my best. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you were talking about kind of like the male bravado in this movie. I think it's also worth noting that like a lot of the scientists on this expedition are like very attractive and like all in terrific shape. Uh, Mark Williams, who's kind of like he's played by Richard Denning. He's like the main guy uh, who's who's with Kay, Julia, uh, Julia Adams is the the, the woman in question. Uh, but Dr. Mark Williams, it's it's noted early on in the movie that he's like surprisingly handsome for a doctor. <laughs> David Reed is like, I was kind of suspicious of you when you first oh no you got those flip-flops you are oh i apologize david's the boyfriend 
Yes, my apologies. Yeah, so David is like he's he's so handsome that it was you know surprising to to Mark Williams. I, I thought that that was very funny. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's easy to mix them up because they are all very attractive. They all kind of look the same too, um, and uh, you know, shirtless for the entire movie. Like you, you never see a scientist with their shirt off this often. Um, but obviously, you know, being on the river, it makes sense. And yeah, because it's like with you know, David is kind of his intentions are kind of the most pure like he is the one that is like kind of thinking of it from a scientific angle and then uh and then you have mark uh that is uh you know kind of wanting he wants the glory of it like oh if we can be the first if we can have the proof if we can do all these things and then uh dr uh carl is the one that's like hey well we need to make money uh you know i'm you're doing this institute and i'm glad with all your research but we also need something that's gonna bring us money so that's where uh, the, the hunt is instigated into it. So you have these three different angles that they're all coming uh, from it. And and one uh, thing that kind of, you know, progresses as well is um, the way that they refer and like kind of treat the Gilman because like, you know, he's this, you know, kind of humanoid amphibious hybrid. Uh, and multiple times there'll be times where they're talking about him and they say it and they say thing and they say creature. But then there's other times where they do recognize that like he's humanoid. And so they say he and him and all these things. Um, so it's like, you know, at certain points they look at him like a human until it's time for them to, you know, act on it. And then it's like, oh, well, now we'll treat him like an animal and we'll hunt it and kind of have no remorse because he's not human. So there's an interesting, like, back and forth that the characters have on the way that they, you know, look and interpret the Gilman that I find very fascinating. Um, I also wanted to shout out, uh, I believe it's Raku Browning uh, and mm-hmm. Ben Chapman, uh, who are the two actors that play uh, the Gilman. Uh, Raku is the the actor that plays him in water, and then Ben Chapman plays him on land, neither of whom were credited in the movie. Ridiculous, if you ask me. Yeah, that's that's kind of wild, and it's interesting, like, because at first I was thinking, I was like, well, it's kind of weird that they have two people, because, like, I mean, he doesn't have any dialogue, and, like, you're in a suit the whole time, so it's like, would it matter if it was two, but, but of knowing, like, the, the intricacies of the suit, and, like, how hard it was to get in and out of it, and, like, uh, mm-hmm. Molly had mentioned, like, the different types of suits for the different functions as well, mm-hmm. and just for the fact that it was apparently miserable to be in the suit, um, oh I God. can see, I can see why they would have two actors at first i was like oh like why didn't one do just like learn to swim better but or or, or vice <laughs> or vice versa you know um but but it does uh, make sense and uh yeah but i, I think browning is uh, you know deserves it a little bit of an extra shout out uh you know train diver he could uh, hold his breath up to four minutes underwater so like so that way they like wouldn't need the tanks and stuff so uh yeah big yeah. big ups to him the, the and i the- don't know Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I know that Browning was also, he came back for both of the sequels. I'm not sure if Chapman did, um, but I know that Browning did. And I think he's, that was his thing. Like he was a diver. I'm pretty sure he even worked on like the old TV show Flipper and stuff very much. So it is kind of odd. I, I can understand from a logistical standpoint, it probably made sense to have two people, but it's so wild that it just wasn't browning the whole time. <laughs> like, especially since there isn't that much time that the creature is on land. Usually we mm-hmm. see him in the water or like transitioning, like coming up out of the water briefly and then jumping back in. Um, so it kind of begs the question, why did they need to have both other than the suits? Um, but that's wild. I like, I never even noticed that they weren't credited. 
I think it's just because like these names, I so, I'm so used to seeing their names. I mm -hmm. didn't even think to look at the credits. Well, um, I, so I, I think as someone who I'm a fair swimmer, but the idea of having like an entire head to toe latex suit on and then going underwater, I can't imagine that they can see particularly well. Like that's, <laughs> it's going to give me a panic attack. Like that sounds so uncomfortable. Uh, but I would have to imagine that, you know, uh, Chapman was mostly there for like stunt reasons, uh, you know, taking falls or taking hits or something like that. I, I, I think that's probably the reason. And you also see stuff like that um, nowadays. It makes me think of uh, the Mandalorian. They have multiple different actors mm -hmm. that play them one's more like a physical role one actually does like the, the stun stuff takes hits and everything like that uh but you had mentioned uh, uh um uh, browning not being a part of the sequels apparently they actually went into um assistant directing they worked on some of the bond movies and did some like stunt work uh so they had a prolific career in quite a lot of different corners of hollywood yeah well well browning yeah browning did the sequels but then they still did do the double actor approach on the on the sequels and those were both played by different people so all three so between the three movies they had three different land creatures but then only only one mm -hmm. uh wet boy uh browning in there. <laughs> and and i don't know if it was i wonder if it was browning or chapman or someone else um but there's a there's a scene where not only has to swim but is in this suit and gets lit on fire so he's doing a fire stunt in this suit while diving into the water i was like god damn I was like, that's that's a lot of work yeah i wish that there was something that actually showed us which one was which in every scene because i would be curious to look at their physicality to see if it's different yeah. or if they kind of tried to mirror each other in any way um but yeah that's like the stunts in this are surprisingly insane considering that era like i I was shocked. <laughs> yeah, the you know the, the movie kind of does have like a bit of a Jaws format in a little bit uh, yeah. because like the first half is very much a lot more of just like conversations and bickering on the boat, and then the second half is where they kind of you know it turns into the more adventurous like on the hunt angle. And yeah, like some of the some of the scenes that they were doing underwater. I mean, again, like you know filming underwater scenes in the fifties is one thing. Uh, you know, doing it in like uh, an actual like lake, like they weren't in like a pool either. Like it was in a lake uh, doing all this underwater on top of having like action choreography, like having full on chase, uh, swim chase scenes. Like we don't really get that in films anymore, like actual <laughs> people having chases while swimming. Like, uh, yeah, so uh, the, the second half of this uh, does get like really intricate with uh, a lot of like the, the action choreography. Yeah, there's a, a funny scene in the movie early on where they like first get a look at the creature and they try to photograph it. And it's just with the biggest camera you've ever seen, <laughs> the size of a table. And he's like, I'm going to prove it to you. I got the picture. And he's like, just wait a few hours while I go <laughs> yeah. to my dark room and develop the photo. And then he's like, damn, I didn't get it. You know, it's, it's literally just, just seaweed. Yeah, it's so funny. Like that, that was such a great bit that he's like really confident that he's going to get this, you know, gigantic photo. And it's just, yeah, just seaweed. <laughs> Yeah. One of my favorite things about the creature too is uh his hatred of fire. Like it's mm -hmm. if it reminds me of a cat knocking stuff off of a table. <laughs> How anytime he saw a like a lamp that had fire in it, he just batted it away and knocked it down and stuff. <laughs> like just irrationally angry. I mean, I get he's probably never seen fire before, but yeah, well, you had so you had mentioned Browning and Chapman like maybe having these different or similar physicalities, but just kind of like 
I, I wish I, I could believe that they actually had those conversations, but just kind of knowing what Hollywood was like at this time yeah. and how these movies were viewed, it's just like, there's no way. <laughs> like, yeah. they probably just showed up. What am I doing? Where am I going? Okay, you know, try not to drown. Like, I, I, I maybe they did, uh, you know, given the benefit of the doubt. No, but, no. Ar you know, Arnold, just, Arnold saw so. the way that <laughs> Arnold saw the way that Chapman swatted stuff away and he goes, oh, no, I need you to do this one. Uh, you know, just uh, 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 Browning couldn't swat like uh chapman could uh but and, and the irony too that like you know he's a a, a water-based uh person and you know scare a fire but like you said like you don't know what fire is so it's like eh, you're like hey you're, you're pretty moist i don't think that fire is gonna get you you know so it's like even the irony and like showing like how uh unaware the the creature is you know and and that's one thing that's interesting too um you know because you know this suit is very heavy and stuff but the amount of personality that they're able to give the the gill man is very surprising uh you know he's very curious uh in the way they like kind of approach the stuff and like uh like molly said like he's is kind of like a cat in a way like he's like very timid uh like when he's like going around things and like poking around you know but then like as soon as like you know he needs to be on alert he is you know and that like, kind of uh goes into that so i really like that cat comparison because uh I, it, a lot of the like little cool details that they're able to do with him also the fact that like when he is on land like uh, the 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 mouth on the on the mask just like repeatedly opens and closes of him like just mm -hmm. like gasping for air uh really great yeah, I mean, I love the the creature from the Black Lagoon design, the the Gill Man. He's in the logo for our show, has been since I came along. I have a, a rug of his face. Uh, I love everything about the look. I don't know how I feel about the lips. He's got big, three <laughs> red lips. He's just ready to give you a big old kiss. I mean, I, and guess, I don't know if it's my favorite. <laughs> I guess that's where the I guess that's where the the sexual angles coming in for. Yeah. It's just like everybody sees those big juicy lips. I mean, how can you not? <laughs> I also wonder if this had been in color if originally if they had stuck with the red lips because like if you look at like Bride of Frankenstein most people don't even realize that her hair is like an auburn red color yeah yeah it, mm -hmm. so it's it makes me wonder like how conscious they were of the, the, those decisions when they were doing the design um, and how much of it was just to make it stand out more in black mm -hmm. and white versus like yes this fish guy definitely has red lips <laughs> Yeah, the rest I mean, of them's green, but red lips. <laughs> and mentioning the, the the black and white, I think that just alone, I know it's a technology of the time. It's certainly not an artistic choice, but I do feel that the black and light, uh, black and white kind of coloring of this movie, as opposed to a colorful like a Technicolor, because that was certainly feasible in the fifties. They they could have made this color if they really wanted to, but I do think the shadows kind of at play and things just sort of out of view underwater. There's that great scene where. Um, uh, Kay is is swimming underwater and he's like kind of not quite grabbing at her feet and I just felt like that was probably the scariest part in the movie as somebody who is not a, a huge fan of open water the idea of like you brush up something uh, against something and you're like what was that the, the fact that it could be this giant fish talon or something going after you I thought was pretty effective yeah i mean i i'd assume the the black and white was more for just because at the time it was probably still cheaper 
And like for them filming something, you know, water based, they want to be able to have as much wiggle room for mistakes as possible, I'm assuming. But the the black and white makes the the underwater sequences look like so much better. Like anytime I see like underwater photography, when it's in color, it's like kind of like, ah, like it's not quite capturing the magic. But like anytime I see like underwater stuff in black and white, like you really do get to see like, you know, the way that the light reflects through the water, like onto things underwater and stuff like that. Like this this movie is crispy as hell it looks so damn good uh like i i was very much like a, a, astonished by you know watching this yeah. on my big screen and like how good it looks uh, i mean i am again also just a slut for black and white but like this is a <laughs> a really great looking movie in it and it adds to the the majestic like kind of flowiness of the movie uh, I think uh, the the score also aids in that like super hard like they 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 meld well together like the 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 score really kind of highlights the the uh, you know the beauty and majesty of the water but then also the dangers that it has as well on the way that it like you know jarringly switches between the two you know during certain scenes uh, so yeah the the sound and uh, the the look like you know just blended together so well. I would also wonder if like from a technology standpoint if black and white was at the time the only option for 3d had they done mm. 3d color movies at that point that's a good uh, point i would mm. assume so I mean, I mean the 50s i i so not to get like super super nerdy but like this was a, like a time in, in in hollywood where a lot of um, households and around the country were getting televisions in their living room and so they like a lot of us are now uh, are comfortable staying at home watching tv and hollywood had to think of something to kind of lure people into the movie theater and that's kind of where 3d came along that's where those like big historical spartacus ben-hur you know you can't get this at home sort of um, attitude mm -hmm. happened so i would assume so but i can certainly um look it up to yeah. see some of the other ones yeah i know the i know and the 13 ghosts uh, one that was in 3D was only a few years prior to this, and that one was also black and white. Yeah. So. And it's, I, I will say, I, um, <laughs> I actually have a 3D TV, and I own this on Blu-ray in 3D. I did, when I watched it to prep for this, I didn't watch it in 3D, but having seen it in 3D, that is another part of this technology that really stands the test of time in a lot of ways it looks better than a lot of the 3d films that we see today mm -hmm. um the only thing about the 3d in this film that i am not a fan of is some of the depth perception stuff because every once in a while in the underwater scenes the seaweed suddenly feels like it's right in front of your face <laughs> and it's, it, it makes me go cross-eyed a little bit but other than that like it it looks as good as a lot of modern films uh, to to answer the question, yeah, there were some uh, 3D films. House of Wax was released uh, just a few years before this. So this was like mm. certainly right in that pocket where uh, that was, uh, you know, being uh, kind of rolled out. But I, too, was really impressed uh, that this is not only underwater, but has great cinematography. This entire pool was built because I, I can't imagine trying to do this like on location with these giant 3D cameras. And the technology of that, especially at the time, is just way way more complicated than it is now so all, all of that I, I i think the movie goes a little bit overboard it's it there's a lot of underwater stuff to where it's like hey look what we can do and a, after a bit you're like yeah i get it you know but i i think it's still very very impressive and very well done for the time 
Yeah, we, we have a little bit of a mixture because they, they film like a, a lot of stuff, obviously, here in Universal City, as most of the Universal movies were. Um, and then they, uh, of course, took it down to Florida to do uh, some of the underwater stuff uh, to, to get that uh, that more lagoony esque because this is uh, this is yeah on the in the in the Amazon jungles in the movie um, a mm-hmm. little bit um, which uh, which uh, most of the uh, aquatic stuff we've been doing has been ocean um, and then like I was saying like uh, the you know the rivers and lakes like kind of provide like their own. Uh, own like kind of different challenges and stuff. Um, one thing that made me happy though was uh, K shouting out uh, the Mississippi, uh, which I you know grew up living next to my entire life. So I was like, hey, I know that one. Uh, so so uh, nice uh, little Midwest shout out there. Uh, we love the Midwest shout outs here. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, is there anything that you guys can think of that you saw in this that it is a uh, a river aquatic uh, specific thing versus uh, something you'd see in the ocean? Um, I mean, is I guess like the the shallowness of the water. There's a really great scene where they're like pushing through. It's probably honestly the scene that you were talking about, where they're pushing through all of the seaweed, and then it just slowly kind of reveals the creature. And I think that that's something quite different as opposed to like underwater, which we talked about this month, being in the depths of the you know the dark of the ocean, having like the light reveal something rather than like foliage in this, which is something that you would have to get you know, uh, maybe like in a coral reef or something like that, but not quite this way. And to anyone who's ever seen like the show River Monsters, I, I think there's some pretty freaky shit down there too, you know? <laughs> and of course, I, I'm not sure if they were caimans or gators or something, but when they're first coming down the Amazon River to go to the site, we see animals like that that you wouldn't typically obviously see in the mm-hmm. ocean. Um, and just kind of like the, I mean... It, they call it a black lagoon, but it almost has a like a swampy bayou kind of look to it, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. very much speaks to that kind of area rather than uh, big open water. Yeah, every time I heard lagoon, I always did assume it was more of a swampy thing. I was like, I thought this was like maybe a, a Louisiana-based, Mississippi-based uh, uh, type of movie, but... Uh, but yeah, I think uh, it, for me, it was uh, kind of like what Gary was saying is like the the depth and shallowness. And again, growing up in the Midwest, like, you know, I swam in lakes and rivers all the time and 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 I had less fear. I had less fear in a degree because, uh, like you said, I was like it, I wasn't worried about things that I couldn't see in there. Um, but at the same time, that's also still like like that. I like since they're like kind of smaller, like there is like a lot more like plant life and smaller animals that you like kind of. Uh, uh, encounter when you're swimming in a rake or a live a a a rake a lake or a river, um. Uh, so yeah, so the, the the depth and shallowness aspect was a little bit interesting as well as I feel like, uh, with shallower water too, it's easier to kind of transition the movie in and out of the water versus mm-hmm. like most uh if you're in the ocean or sea, the movie is pretty much in there for good. Versus if you have the river, you kind of have uh the the luxury of going a little bit back and forth. And there's something that feels almost, it's a different kind of isolation, I feel like, because obviously if you're out in open water, you, you're surrounded by water, but it also, because you're so far out, there's, it seems like there's less likely to be a lot of life. I feel like there's something about this location that made it feel like even though it's less water, that there would be a lot more life in there, a lot more stuff swimming around you that could be touching you. Yeah. (laughs) And even just like, Stuff that um, could go from land to water too 
because obviously in the open ocean, you don't have to worry about that. Um, and I feel like you could see things coming from a lot further away in the open ocean, whereas there's a lot more places for them to hide in a little lagoon like that. Yeah, I, I think that certainly adds to the atmosphere of this movie. I, I know that there's some films in our, our movie math that kind of also are in a, a similar neck of the woods. But I, I feel like, yeah, the the river lake, the murkiness and the mud and the muck of everything, I, I, I like it's not necessarily conveyed as much because, again, a lot of this was shot in a pool. But I, I think it's conveyed enough through different foliage and things like that. Things just, you know, just out of view, the the kind of I would argue iconic shot of like the hand on the rock you can like kind of see his his head you know just out of view a little bit and yeah it's stuff like that is really you know atmospheric and creepy yeah and and I think there's also something about the the fact that um since it is a smaller more specific area uh one it kind of the setting of it being like in the Amazon specifically like kind of adds to you know the the fork the folklore and mythology angle like you know like a lot of the information that they get is you know from the the captain hearing stuff from the townsfolk so it's like uh that that kind of adds into it but then it also uh makes it makes the scientists feel more invasive since this is a a known but specific you know location versus like in the ocean it's so big it's kind of open to anybody like i like even though like yeah you can still be trespassing and you know disturbing uh ecosystems but as far as the ocean it's pretty big there's enough room for a lot of people you know versus if you are specifically uh trying to go to this place like you know even the way that uh lucas describes it, he's like oh yeah it's the black lagoon of paradise except nobody's ever come back to prove it um, you know, so like just that of him basically saying, Hey, don't go chasing waterfalls, please stick to the rivers and lakes that you're used to. But it like also makes it, you know, uh, these, these very white scientists feel more out of their depths in this kind of more unknown, uh, setting as well. Out of their depths. Very ah, good there on. we go. That, that one <laughs> was on I'm... accident. <laughs> yeah. I definitely feel like there is, uh, there's a lot at play, I guess, kind of culturally in this movie, both in regards to race, but also I would say gender too. Um, it, it's already been discussed kind of the, you know, K being the, you know, the yes, capable, yes, incredibly intelligent scientist. I feel at times uh, this movie is a bit of a product of its time that there is certainly a damsel in distress sort of attitude. Meanwhile, the men are like off rescuing the day or they're doing a lot of the expedition, uh, like personally, where she's just kind of on the boat. I'll give it to her incredible outfits throughout the entire movie. Just fit game is crazy. Uh, that like bathing suit is iconic. A lot of that stuff is great, but I feel like that is uh, kind of another example of this movie showing its age a little bit. Um, not necessarily like a, a super, super detrimental way, more of just kind of like a, well, it was the fifties, you know, mm -hmm. it just, it, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely feel that a little bit of it uh, again, just kind of being a movie from the fifties, but then also when we're kind of, uh, retroactively looking at it, you know, through this, uh, like kind of, you know, hyper-masculine uh, lens, if you do kind of watch in certain scenes, like, yeah, like, cause like, yeah, she is talked up about being a very smart and, uh, you know, successful scientist, you know, with everybody else. But then, yeah, she kind of sidelined when she gets there, but it's like, there's, there is multiple scenes though, where she's like trying to offer up input. She's trying to give ideas and they just simply don't listen to her. <laughs> like they simply yeah. just like, like repeatedly ignore her. And then they're just like, ah, go for a swim, Kay. Uh, <laughs> you know? And like, you know, so it's like, the, so there, there's kind of an angle of her, you know, still trying to be that assertive woman but the you know all these men just like not allowing it 
Yeah. Yeah. I see her as like kind of an eternal optimist almost in her role because we see she has conversations where she's asking important questions about the find and what they're doing and she's posing theories and she she even has that whole conversation um with one of the scientists where they're saying like your work is one of the reasons why you were able to get this the school or whatever was able to get these grants and stuff is because of your contribution um but then at the same time as she's doing all this the men are constantly like uh, I, I mean, I guess it's kind of, by today's standards, not so much, but by standards of the time, microaggressions. <laughs> now, they're not so micro, but back then, like, definitely, like, they they kind of belittle her, belittle her a lot. But she constantly, like, she always has a smile on her face. She takes on stride, and she still just does what she's going to do. And she seems like a very confident, independent person, despite how the men around her act. Yeah, which I appreciate. Um, but I also think it's it's interesting that uh, this, in that respect, it's it's depending on the scene. It seems more progressive for the time, and and then other scenes, it's it very much other times. But even just like the fact that this whole theory that they that they've created around Gilman, it's very much um, all about like the Big Bang theory and evolution. And I feel like for that time, that was not the popular theory. And so for them to like create this whole movie around the theory of evolution, essentially, and it makes sense. Like they actually, you can tell they did their research because it makes sense that they would find something like this in the Amazon where there are still, even to this day, so many species of animals that haven't been discovered. Uh, So it's, it feels like from a scientific perspective, very progressive. from a feminist perspective, it, it, it's like maybe 60-40, depending on the scene. Yeah. yeah. But then, like, from from a racial perspective, not so much. Yeah, I mean, I, I could have gone um, or done a little bit, you know, with, with more runtime. I think that this film being so short, I, I think there is a little bit, in, for at least me, the, I, I think the relationship between Kay and the Gilman could have been developed in kind of like a King Kong sort of way, because I think that too is a film that has a lot of these cultural themes, racial themes, uh, you know, uh, uh, feminist themes accidentally. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. it like it, it's really benefited from hindsight is that when you're mm-hmm. watching a film like this and it is more of like a you know, of the time it was like, oh, you travel to these strange and unique foreign third worlds. And then now it's just like, yeah, you're in Africa, you know, <laughs> like, you know, watching it a movie from a, from a modern perspective, you're able to um, kind of have this new uh, take on something. And I think uh, a scene with, with Kay and the Gill man of she maybe sympathizes with him a bit more or kind of sees that he, this is his home and he's, it's being invaded. I think that maybe could have been communicated a little bit more, but it is mostly, painting the gill man as you know this murderous monster who kills a lot of their team rather than someone who's defending their home you know yeah i i could have taken a little bit more of that as well um i i could have taken a little more of that i also could have um 
taken a little bit more into i mean it was progressive for the time uh, as far as the, the evolution stuff goes because like i mean hell i can think of people today that if they see that opening prologue they're gonna be like ew no i'm i'm out of here you know so it's like yeah even that opening uh prologue it was very interesting but then uh, one of my favorite uh, uh sci-fi movie tropes is let me study certain animal to uh that has this specific characteristic that could help humans like then the whole adaptability angle so i feel like if you know like maybe there was like a point where they like do something to the gill man they like notice like oh hey he doesn't have to do this like humans do or he or you know he's immune to this or like something like that if they would have like then like discovered that and then actually had more reason uh to to be hunting him other than just the vague things of being like well because it's like they don't have any plans for like when if they capture them like what are you gonna do they don't have like anything like worked out in their mind there's like oh yeah we're gonna capture them and then we're gonna get paid and it's like for what you know so it's like it would have been interesting if they would have um anchored it in like one more kind of scientific reason to kind of you know push them you know doing this other than again like kind of having this just back and forth of you know like and 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 the proof thing also kind of ties in a little bit to uh the race angle that could have been a little bit more interesting is you know like you know even today you know we still um you know we don't put as much weight on um i mean we do and we don't put as much weight on like physical proof for things um you know kind of a, a theme in a lot of uh issues today is like hey like if you just believe somebody's word for it and eventually if this many people say it then like you know that adds validity but that doesn't matter to them when they hear all these different stories from the uh you know the 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 village people or the people you know the the um uh um what's the word i'm looking for I, I almost said residents, but they live in the jungle. Um, but uh, natives, uh, yes, natives. Thank you. I don't the, know why. The village people. I don't know why I was. <laughs> I could not find it. Um, but it's like if all these native people are saying these things, and it's like obviously it has to be true. But because they're from you know this you know exotic foreign land, then it's like oh, your word doesn't mean as much as if we you know get the proof that then then people will believe us. You know. Yeah, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm I'm certainly not the expert of this movie, but they the the reason that they're there initially is to study lungfish, and I don't remember that being too integral to the plot, other than being kind of the inciting reason that they're there. I could totally be wrong or missed that, a line or two. So that is the reason why David and Kay were in Brazil was to study lungfish, but they go to that area because the paleontologist found the fossil. Uh, of of an old gill man's hand and because it was a new species he wasn't familiar with he asked them to come along to help since they're ichthyologists i see see. um so that's kind of what brought them there and then they unexpectedly (laughs) found a living specimen yeah um and of course like i think a lot of the driving force behind like why they're there and why they're so hell-bent on on either capturing or killing a lot of it is mark I, the whole time, every time I watch this movie, Mark is basically Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> yep. He's, he's macho bravado douchebag who wants the girl that doesn't want him and like it's hell-bent on killing a creature without really understanding anything about it oh yeah david even calls him out at one point and goes hey you're acting much more like a a, a big game hunter than a scientist right now yeah uh you know he like uh calls him out and and in one angle like obviously they didn't touch on a bunch of like invading his area that garrett was talking about one thing that i did notice that is interesting is 
all the Gilman's kills are out of water. He's killing everyone on land on their turf. So that does, you know, have some uh, an interesting correlation between them invading the water going for him and then all of his kills are literally on land. So interesting. Yeah, I, I do think that this movie is missing a, a, a bit of a bite because I think that and maybe it's like a it could totally just be like in a code era sort of thing but you know the universal monster movies do have some grit to them and frankenstein frankenstein murders a child like a little <laughs> girl and she and he drowns her a lot of the kills in this are you know cut away or off screen or they discover a body or something like that but i would have loved to have seen like you know somebody get pulled underwater and then you know bubbles rise or something like that you know like make the the gill man a real threat rather than just like hey look at these slashes maybe it was a jaguar or something like that you know yeah, he's he's really big and strong, and most of the time he is just, like, kind of throwing and punching and hitting people. Uh, I would have loved to have seen him, I don't know, like, throw up some, like, ooze on them or something. <laughs> like, like give, give me something like that. Would like, have like been Reptile from Mortal Kombat? <laughs> something like that. I think that could have been interesting. Um, I know, obviously, they were already pushing the technology budget as it is, but if they could have gave the mask a long, floppy tongue... That could have been interesting, like you know. So, um, we we definitely have some uh some angles that we long floppy tongue to go with those big lips, <laughs> <laughs> just, just kissing everybody. <laughs> oh yes, um, there there uh, we didn't get an alligator roll, which would have also been fun. But there is this oh, yeah. one, there is this one little scene though. Whenever we are getting like the big like underwater like main set piece uh between uh Gilman versus uh David and Mark underneath. Uh, where he does do this like he like swims up to one of them does this like butterfly like turn in the air and then like grabs them by the leg and then like swims them back down i was like ooh, i was like that was a cool little move you got there so um again browning very uh talented swimmer uh also so is julia adams she had great form uh i meant to shout that out <laughs> there um molly i did want to ask this being like one of your favorite films it being as short as it is is there anything um, that you wish that the film did a little bit more, or that you could have taken more of, or do you think it's like nice, brief, to the point? Um, I mean, it's one of those things where the, I, coming from a more modern time, there are definitely things that I wish that they had included or maybe changed a little bit. Um, I think the biggest thing is I I do agree. I think that I wish that there was not a relationship, but maybe more of like a kinship between Kay and, and Gilman. Mm -hmm. um, because she seems like for a lot of the film, she is defending him and kind of like speaking in favor of him and, and trying to get them to not hurt him. But then anytime she actually sees him, she's screaming her head off. So yeah. Great I, scream I too. That, yeah, and I, I kind of wish that maybe even just like a subtle change at the end, like making it so she she stops David from killing the creature or something, you know, like just something little like that yeah. would have would have pushed it a long way for me. Um, but again, it's I mean, for the time that it came out, I, I think it's great. Um, I love like I said, I love the scientific aspect. I think Kay is an amazing character, even though the idiot men around her don't see that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think the design is the creature design is amazing, and I will say when I was rewatching this, the very first note that I wrote down was "fuck Bud Westmore." <laughs> so oh, I just nice. wanted to, I felt the need to say that. Um, I get that for the time it was normal for him to be the only one that had a credit for makeup in the the actual credits, um, but the Millicent Patcher 
Patrick Eraser Erasure does not stand in my household. <laughs> so we we are all for that. So and also I'm going to take a chance to plug the book Lady from the Black Lagoon by Mallory O'Mara, all about Millicent Patrick because it's amazing. Interesting. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, we'll definitely. Uh, well, you know, we don't read here on the pod, but uh, I'm gonna say <laughs> I'm gonna say I'll check it out though. Uh, we'll we'll make sure uh, we we retweet that out whenever. Uh, we put this episode up um, and you know you pretty much uh, wrapped us into our final thoughts uh, so I don't know if I even have to give you a true uh, uh, ask what your score out of five harpoons would be but uh, what what is your score for your final thought I can I give it two scores yeah (laughs) okay Um, as a film critic I would probably give it a score of three and a half harpoons but as someone who absolutely love this movie and grew up watching it five harpoons <laughs> of course of course i mean uh we, we definitely you know uh love getting uh, the more personal scores here whenever uh you know i mean we are analyzing but these are also yeah what what these uh how these movies speak to us uh so yeah. garrett how are you feeling on uh, this rewatch Oh, I'm the same way in my ratings. I'm I'm always going to go my heart first. It's like, yeah, I, I'm not a fucking teacher. You know, I'm not giving this this movie an actual br- a grade. It's like on a scale of one to five, how much did I enjoy this? You know, so for me, um, this is a a three out of five. I like the idea of this movie a lot. Not not just like the idea of like the plot, but the kind of the the legacy of this movie, the aesthetic of this movie, the fact that it is this. 1950s pulp horror sci-fi uh you know exploration film something that was very common at the time and just kind of the way audiences tastes were in the 1950s this is really kind of the one of the epitome you know sci-fi um horror films of the 1950s uh, the pulp sci-fi horror films um I, i i love so much about this film but each time i watch it i just wish it had a little bit more to it um i i think it is uh no pun intended a little surface level um, I think that some things could have been dove into um, a, a bit more to make some of the messaging of this movie, some of the characters of this movie just hit a bit harder for me. Um, I still enjoy it, but as I said um, up top, it doesn't really reach the heights of some of the other Universal uh, monster films. But yeah, still three out of five harpoons. Still really enjoy this movie. Um, uh, still love the uh, iconography of this one, but it's uh, not 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 quite on my uh, Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I'm uh I'm sitting around the same actually about a three three maybe a three point five I'm kind of back and forth but it's a, a little bit closer to the three so we'll we'll go with that for now um as in that yeah kind of for the exact same reasons pretty much like you know this movie uh I give it a lot of credit for its technical merits uh, for the things it was doing at the time um and some of the you know general aesthetic design choices and things like that. Um, but as far as, yeah, the, for one, this being such a short film, a lot of the, there's a lot of stuff that does get repetitive oddly. So it's like, um, as far as like, until we get to like those, like really, you know, those last uh, 20 minutes where things, you know, really, uh, you know, action picks up a little bit, the pace picks up, there's a little bit more urgency. And of course we're getting more Gilman. Like, it, you know, we, it, it takes a bit before we get a full shot of Gilman in this one, but for obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, so so for a lot of those things, I mean, even though, you know, I think we uh, did a, a pretty good job, as we usually do, of uh, uh, digging out the things that may not have been there intentionally, but, you know, there's there's traces and remnants and fossils of these things in there, um, you know, so so I'll give it I'll give it some credit there. 
Um, but yeah, it does it uh, kind of hit some of the highs that I have um, emotionally um, that I do compared to some of the other Universal Monster movies. It doesn't, um, but for the sheer iconography of uh, of Gilman, I mean, this movie is undeniable on that angle. So, so yeah, so uh, I'm sitting about uh, the same thing. And um, I know we have mentioned a couple of them, but let's see what other movies we were thinking about while talking Creature from the Black Lagoon. Alrighty, here on Spectre Cinema Club, we like to conclude all of our episodes by playing Movie Math. Uh, Molly, you've been on the show before, so hopefully uh, you remember, unless it, the this game is too the, new for you. This was pre-Garrett. Uh, it... This was pre-you. Oh, so yeah, so this yeah. is Molly's first Movie Math. <laughs> well, I'm excited to uh, crack the seal, but yeah, it's simple. You just got to put some movies in an equation mathematically, just have it equal the film that we discussed today. So uh, what's in your equation? Yeah, I think with the exception of one of these films, we have at least touched on them. So in parentheses, we have Beauty and the Beast. Obviously there's a woman who's far too smart for any of the men around her. Um, there's the gun happy douchebag. <laughs> there's a beast that's not really evil. It's just lonely and wanting love. Um, and I actually did read that the producer of the film, he was one who wrote the initial story notes and he was at least partly inspired by Beauty and the Beast. So that was, at least to a certain extent, the inspiration for this film. So definitely mm-hmm. had to, to include that. Plus King Kong, another one we mentioned. Obviously, it's very similar. It's these people going to a remote area. There's one woman in the group, but in that case, it's an actress. They find a, a monster, which obviously in King Kong is the giant ape who falls in love with the woman. Um, and the expedition kind of turns to one of greed, which I think is very similar between those movies. This one I almost didn't include because it felt too obvious, but I ultimately decided to also do plus The Shape of Water. Um, Obviously, Guillermo del Toro was inspired by the film, um, by Creature from the Black Lagoon when making this film. We have very similar creature, similar looking, although it's still a very cool updated design. I love the design in that film also. Um, we have the one woman who kind of understands it, that they they are drawn to each other. There's Obviously, it's more romantic in that film than in Creature from the Black Lagoon, but still definitely had to include it. Um, and of course, there's the scientific, and it, they both came from the Amazon as well. And then all of those divided by, this is the one that was not mentioned, I decided to divide it by the Meg. Um, I know we kind of had touched on Jaws before, but if we're if we're talking giant shark type movie, I feel like this movie has a little bit more in common with the Meg. It has a prehistoric aquatic beast that people didn't realize was still alive. A scientific team accidentally finds it, um, and then it's a group of scientists who have to try to kill it before it kills anyone else. Um, so I think that those... Even though they are very different, I feel like there are a lot of odd parallels between the two films. And it kind of takes out the more romantic aspects of the three previous films I mentioned. So it removes the romance and just the carnage. See, I, lo- I love when people are intimidated by movie math, but then instantly whip out parentheses and <laughs> use them flawlessly in the whole division. Like, yeah, that, that's one of the more accurate equations we've had, uh, even with the Meg, because, yeah, the Meg, they do kind of do this weird flip-flopping of, okay, we should kill it. No, we should capture it. No, we need to run. No, we need to kill it. And it's like, yo, pick what y'all want to do. Uh, <laughs> so, so I definitely uh, feel that as well. 
And uh, I mean, of course, uh, I also have Shape of Water in mind. My equation's pretty simple this week um, because, I mean, Shape of Water is, I mean, it, it very much is Del Toro's version of this. Uh, he was supposed to do a Creature from Black Lagoon, like actual remake in the early 2000s. But as uh, typical with a lot of Del Toro's projects, he was asking for too much money, so no, so they dropped him, unfortunately. Uh, and then he said, well, you know what? I'm going to do my own uh, with my own things. And, and I feel like that's also maybe a reason that uh, I kind of keep uh, that I couldn't score this movie a little bit higher was because Shape of Water kind of does all the same things, but even better with, you know, my with my visual aesthetic and uh, the romance really works. Uh, you know, great performances, great look to it. Michael Shannon being the gr- best human monster possible, um, you know, so I mean, for obvious reasons, Shape of Water. And then I have it divided by one of my all-time favorites. If we hadn't covered it already in season one, I would have picked it for this month. Anaconda, baby. Um, it, you mm. know, like, you know, it very much with the the tie-ins of, like, you know, like, exploring something that, like, only the uh, natives kind of know about. But there's all these legends and mythology about it, uh, you know, going into a place it shouldn't be. Um, you know, the the uh, hubris of uh, John Voight convincing the scientists to go into this place where they shouldn't. And uh, and all the things and and uh, and also set uh, and also set on uh, the Amazon River as well. Uh, Anaconda is a fucking banger. I just watched it again for uh, for two like two weeks ago at the bar. And the scene where John Voight's like making the creepy face at J-Lo, everybody just like lost their minds. It was such a great reaction because like everybody caught it at like the right time. Everybody's just like looks up and goes, ah, ew, John Voight. Uh, so Anaconda, banger of a movie. And I see lots of uh, inspiration there from this movie. Uh, Garrett, what do you got? I just want to shout out, uh, ew, John Voight is an evergreen <laughs> phrase. Uh, <laughs> yes, it really is. <laughs> um, uh, I, too, had uh, King Kong, specifically the 1933 version. Uh, I think that that really, uh, for everything that's already been mentioned, um, also has those um, kind of like rach- racial and cultural themes that maybe the movie just kind of accidentally stumbles into. Also, having like really uh, impressive uh, effects for the time and really being this like testament to uh, practical filmmaking. Um, I have that raised to the power of uh, the thing from another world, um, which is uh, also uh, most obviously the movie that was remade into being the thing. But it, too, is about this team of scientists going and, you know, uncovering something that's, you know, this monster that has maybe been there for a long time or, you know, is from maybe somewhere else. It's also noted that the creature in this movie might be an alien, you know. So uh, it's this team of scientists trying to survive, but it, it, too, has that. 50s pulpy sci-fi kind of uh, feel to it interesting um yeah um i haven't seen that one uh actually even though i mean i love the thing but i have not seen the thing from another world but the thing from another world not to be confused with it came from another planet also directed by jack arnold uh so so there you go uh very similar titles there uh, but yeah, so I, I see all those things uh was gonna ask as you put your year garrett uh molly do you have a preferred king kong whether it fits into I the was, equation or not, but do you have a preferred? I was thinking the original, yes. Okay, the, gotcha. the 1930s one, yeah. Gotcha. Beauty and the Beast, like, probably technically would have been the older version, but in my head, it was the Disney one. <laughs> For sure. No, uh, especially when you made uh, the Gaston, <clears throat> especially when you made the Gaston parallel, I was like, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, that definitely checks out. Uh, but yeah, so you guys uh, got lots of movies. Uh, if you're still in the mood for uh, more more fishy vibes, uh, we got we got things in there for you, uh, as well as uh, people want to um, you know fuck beasts and creatures because hey, who who's not a monster fucker around here? We don't kink shame. You guys know that. 
Um, but Molly, thank you for coming on to the show. Uh, what are you working on right now? Well, as always, I am working on the monthly Uterator column at Certified Forgotten. Um, I do my best to do it every month. Sometimes I miss a month, but uh, 10 times out of 12, it's every month. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, of course, we just recently announced the pre-sale of a book that I co-authored with a group of amazing authors. The, um, it's called Queer Horror, A Film Guide. And it's a very comprehensive collection of queer horror films where we wrote synopses and included all the details about people who wrote and directed and started and stuff. And um, it's available for pre-order now. I am not positive of the date because depending on where you look, it's a different release date. It's either November or December, but you can pre-order it now. <laughs> Amazing. And we will uh, have the, the link to that uh, in the description because I didn't even know that until I uh, was literally just looking at your page today. I was like, oh, my God. Uh, we love uh, people uh, writing compilation books. Uh, if you like those, uh, keep an eye on this space. Uh, tease, tease, tease. Uh, Garrett, what are you working on right now? Uh, you guys can follow me uh, over on Twitter, Letterboxd, Freds, all the stuff, TikTok, at uh, Garrett McDowell. Um, I also have another podcast where I talk all things Star Wars, so would love to uh, have y'all over there. That is uh, called Scum and Villainy of Star Wars Podcast. Uh, all of that can be found uh, in my Twitter. Yes, uh, I am not making threads in the blue skies just yet. Uh, I'm still uh, I'm still tweeting around, uh, still doing the same usual thing, so you can find it, me at all the places. I was gonna say it's like a doomsday bunker, you know. It's like you got all the stuff down there, but I'm not. I'm not using it just in case. <laughs> I, I I like that. I like that. Um, but yeah, so you can find me at the usual places at underscore daddy disco. Uh, you can hear me over on the pot and pendulum. Uh, we just arrived in Saw City, uh, so you can hear me talk about uh, Saw two and three coming up here over there pretty soon. And uh, yeah, oh, and you can also hear me over on uh, Creepy and Geeky uh, covered uh, the two Happy Death Day movies. Uh, so go uh, listen to that episode. But now go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Spectre Cinema Club. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Subscribe to not miss a thing. You can follow us on social media at Spectre Cinema on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us five stars, a nice little review. We appreciate you. But until next time, guys, stay lifted.